Good morning, and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. As longtime listeners of our podcast know, each and every week we discuss the Torah portion, the parasha, the weekly section of the five books of Moses, known in Hebrew as Torah, that is read in synagogues and Jewish communities throughout the world. This week, Two Torah portions are read in traditional synagogues. This is done four times a year in order to accommodate keeping the holidays within their prescribed seasonal time. This week, our Torah portion is known as Tazria Mitzorah. Two relatively brief Torah portions that begin in Leviticus 12 and end at the conclusion of Leviticus 15. Let me offer an overview of these two very fascinating Torah portions before we turn to our guest for an exploration. The parasha of Tazria and the parasha of Mitzorah continue the discussion begun the week before of the laws of Tuma the Tahara, ritual impurity and ritual purity. Our Torah portion begins by telling us that a woman giving birth should undergo a process of purification, which includes immersing, immersing, immersing in a mikvah, a naturally gathered pool of water, and bringing offerings to the holy temple. It also reminds us that all male infants are circumcised on the eighth day of life. Tazria is often mistranslated as leprosy. It is a supernatural plague which can afflict people as well as garments or homes, very difficult for those of us to understand. It Torah portion tells us if white or pink patches appear on a person's skin, dark pink or dark green in garments or homes, a high priest, a Kohen, is summoned. Judging by various signs, such as an increase in the size of the afflicted area after a seven-day quarantine, the Kohen pronounces it Tameh, impure, or Tahor, pure. A person afflicted with Tazarat must dwell alone outside of the camp or city until that person is healed. The afflicted area in a garment or home must be removed. If the affliction recurs, the entire garment or home must be destroyed. As you can see, this is a challenging Torah portion to understand. When we turn to Mitzorah, the second of the two portions, the Mitzorah uh, heals or he or she is purified by the Kohen 
with a special procedure involving two birds, spring water in an earthen vessel, a piece of cedar wood, a scarlet thread, and a bunch of hyssop. Ritual impurity is also engendered, according to the Torah portion, through a seminal or other discharge in a man and menstruation or other discharge of blood in a woman, necessitating purification through immersion in a mikvah. These are very challenging laws and concepts. With me this morning to discuss these challenging ideas and challenging words is Rabbi Brooks Sussman, Rabbi Emeritus of Congregation Kol Am in Freehold, New Jersey. Rabbi Sussman has served a number of congregations, including in Long Island and in New Jersey. He is known as a wonderful teacher and is certainly well qualified to share with us this morning about this challenging Torah portion. Rabbi Sussman, welcome again to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Thank you very much, Rabbi. It is truly an honor and a joy to be back with all of you, and I'm thrilled to know that I am a wonderful teacher. You noted that this is a very disturbing and distinguishing Torah portion because it deals with leprosy and all of the pus and all of the nasties that come with leprosy or what's otherwise known as Hansen's disease. And so I want you to imagine for a moment that you are a young bar mitzvah boy of age 13, and you are standing before the congregation and reading from this Torah portion, and then you are to go on and explain the meaning of it. I can't think of a worse curse for a young 13-year-old boy or girl than to have to explain how one becomes impure and what those impurities entail. And so it I, is, I don't you know said, about in your congregation, but certainly in many congregations, including mine, people would work diligently not to, to avoid these Torah portions. Well, I think the reality of AIDS in the late 20th century changed that because that kind of affliction becomes very important in what this Torah portion talks about. Essentially, as you said, when an individual is afflicted with these protrusions or the scales or something so obvious that one has that affliction, they're taken to the priest. And so it begs the question, what kind of disease is it when you aren't going to a healer or a doctor? And with that in mind, there's only one time in the entire first five books of the Bible, the Torah, that the term rofe or healer, doctor, is even mentioned. And that's in Genesis 50 when Jacob, Israel, is on his deathbed and his son Joseph calls for the rofim of Egypt to embalm his father. And so they were embalmers, they were not healers. And so it begs the question, so what kind of disease is this? Is the affliction 
one of a disease or is it internal? Is it brought about by the individual's action or inaction? And I bring that whole question because if we look at the entirety of the Torah and dealing with the reality of many of our matriarchs, they are barren. They are unable to even become pregnant. And therefore, how they overcome that is by praying to God to remember them. Rachel pleads with God to remember her and open her womb. Rebecca is barren until Isaac pleads with God to remember Rebecca. And so it's God who finds favor with the individual that allows that family to bear children. And so by that instance, we have the quintessential leper, the quintessential individual who has the Mitzorah. It's Miriam the brother, the sister of both Aaron and Moses. And in the book of Numbers, we learn that she becomes a Mitzorah. She becomes a leper because she and her brother Aaron defame their brother Moses for marrying the Cushag woman, Sipporah, speaking against her. And so she is stricken with Mitzorah Kisheleg, snow-white scales. Who is going to heal her? There is no doctor. The only way that she is healed is by her brother Moses offering the one and only prayer that is found in the entire text when he says, Elna, Rafana la, God, pray, please heal her, please. But until she's healed, she is ostracized quarantined from the camp for seven days, as Rabbi Garten noted, as is commanded in this week's double Torah portion, until the affliction disappears. She is afflicted because of what she did. She maligned another, her sister-in-law. She is placed outside the encampment, not only because she was infected, but what is that infection? Her chance of infecting others insisted upon her being sent away from the encampment. If her words caused her infection, her affliction, then her words could cause that same in others. And so we're dealing with something that one does, that even one says. In fact, according to the rabbis, there are three things under our personal control, the mouth, the feet, and the hands. We can talk, we can run away, we can hold our hands, keeping something away from us. But three things are outside our control, the ears, the eyes, and the nose. And so if someone is verbally afflicting another, we either listen and become infected by those words, or we leave and refuse to become part and parcel of that kind. And so thus leprosy, in biblical teaching, is a moral affliction, manifest by a physical manifestation that will serve as a warning that the afflicted one must be avoided. In fact, the Torah demands that while still within the encampment until they are ostracized, 
one must walk through the encampment saying, Tamei, Tamei, I am impure, I am impure. This is what the Torah portion is speaking about. So, Rabbi, I want to um, encourage you to uh, clarify for our listeners that we've moved from what appears to be the literal reading of the Torah, that there's some sort of um, disease, tsa'ara, which afflicts the individual um, to the more um, interpretive understanding that this is not necessarily a physical ailment, but is in fact a moral and ethical challenge to the individual who, um, and we take this as you've suggested, because the Torah asks us not to bring in a healer, but a um, priest whose task is to be the intermediary between God and the people. Who tests um, the morality or immorality of the individual. As I've always believed and I try to teach, the Torah can be seen in so many ways, and I like to see it as a mystery story. We're given clues. It's a whodunit. How did we get there? And so if it is a moral disease, what is that? And so I'm going to be rabbinic for a moment and try to guesstimate the real meaning and offer perhaps the lesson. The term mitzora is very specific, but there are, it's in its oral sound, it gives other interpretations because Mitsora sounds very much like Motsi Ra, the one who brings forth, who brings about evil, a Motsi Ra. And what does that produce or how is that produced? Lashon Hara, which is evil speech, cruel speech, Lashon, the way it's spoken, Hara, evil is, is a, a factor of motzi ra, bringing forth evil, and it becomes manifest as a matzora. If you can listen to those three separate things, they mold into one. And so it's gossip, verbal sniping, cruel innuendo that becomes a virus, infecting not only the individual, but could also afflict the entire community. This is where the Torah serves as a base so that we can expand upon it and literally make a story for our own times. In fact, the rabbi of the Talmud believed that the destruction of the second temple was because of what's known in Hebrew as sinat chinam, the wanton hatred without cause brought about by that gossip. That Lashon Hara, Lashon Hara, a slander by Jews of others that actually caused the destruction of that temple. And so gossip and Lashon Hara, because they are always done in secret, makes it all the more important to suggest a physical manifestation so that we know who the gossip is, who the slanderer is. 
and to keep the community from being infected, they must be ostracized. So let's stop there for just a moment because your imagery is very powerful. Uh, Gossip and slander have the possibility of infecting a community and serving to change the community from using the biblical terminology, pure to the impure. And certainly we see that today in modern North American uh, politics, how language has uh, altered the ability of the community to speak with each other in productive manners. One doesn't have to take sides, but if one side believes that the other part of a conversation is slandering them, then there's no room for uh, one party to be part of the community of the second party. Um, The brilliance of the statement you just made has brought Bible into a contemporary life so that it's not an ancient document speaking about people of thousands of years ago. It's talking about you and me and how we deal with the world by our words. The Torah understood the power of words. Later on in the Torah, we have this famous uh, law that says you shall not put a stumbling block before the blind. And the ancient rabbis um, certainly understood that to be more than just the literal meaning of putting a log in front of those who couldn't see, but putting any kind of impediment in front of a person who doesn't know or is blind to certain realities, um, you're indicating how powerful a message the Torah um, serves to us even in the 21st century. Um, well, uh, I, teach, I teach a course in ethics. In fact, I started a course for seniors, people our age, Rabbi, uh, in college today. And dealing with the idea and the essence of our text, of our Bible, is that we are inherently not good, sweet, gentle, caring, genteel people. We are egotistical. We are solipsistic. And these laws and these protections for the community from the individual are what keep us honest and honorable. It enforces and insists upon our being ethical. So the Torah portion in Leviticus 13 uses the number seven as the time necessary for the purification of the afflicted individual. Do you have any sense about why in this particular um, situation the Torah repeats the... uh, important number seven? It's my suggestion that the seven days correspond to a purposeful creation. 
there's a reason for our existence, creating a hierarchy from the beginning, going from darkness to light through the creation of human beings, a hierarchy with the message that we have a reason to be here. And so we went from the from nothing and the creation of something to us, the establishment of a purpose. And the prime purpose of creation was for us. There's a reason for our presence in this society, a purpose to our lives and a responsibility for this world's preservation through our actions, known as tikkun olam, the repair of a world that perhaps we have torn, but it's our responsibility to mend. And that's the importance of Tazriya Metzora, because it gives essentially, here's what happens to you when you become cruel and infect an entire community. It demands a humanity. So this becomes more than just a uh, medical doctrine. It becomes a powerful spiritual incentive to um, create community that recognizes that words hurt as uh, powerfully as deeds. And though many will remember the old adage, sticks and stones can break my bones, but <laughs> words can never harm me, uh, Torah seems to suggest the exact opposite, that well, words it's, it's, are much more uh, powerful, a destructive force uh, for community building. Um, well, it becomes interesting. We, we are both... Our yeah, go ahead. We are we are both from North American communities, democracies. And the term democracy comes from the Greek two words, demoskratia, power to and power of the people. That's exactly what the Torah is teaching us to be. Powerful people recognizing each other. So before we conclude our conversation this morning, the most challenging um, aspect of this Torah portion finds itself right in the beginning. In the beginning, the Torah portion speaks about what is um, the circumstances regarding a woman after giving birth. And it says that a woman who gives birth needs to undergo a process of purification. Um, and so is that simply because the woman has used expletives during the pain <laughs> of childbirth? Or is the Torah hinting at something more significant about the experience of childbirth? I, th I think that it's about the experience. And more than that, those of us who have seen our uh, wives, our, our individual lovers who have given birth, recognize the pain that they have gone through and they deserve a rest. 
and we become responsible to provide that rest for them because their lives have been turned upside down and it gives them a chance of peace, of rest, of sholem. That word shalom, whether we're Jewish or not, we recognize as peace and at-homeness, an almost safety. But then there's another pronunciation of those three self-same Hebrew letters, and the word is shalem, and it means fulfilled, whole, complete. Those seven days, just like the seven days of creation, allow sholem, peace, giving her that chance to become whole again, fulfilled, shalem. So, in the uh, Torah portion, the priest is not necessary for the woman to move from the initial status of giving birth to re-entering society. Does the mikvah, the ritual bath, the waters of purification, serve in the place of the priesthood here? I believe the priesthood is just that intermediary, really with no control. The priest is the acceptor of the korbanot, the, the sacrifices, or the recommender. The priest has no special quality other than being the voice of the law itself. And so he's, he, he's a functionary rather than a, a person of power. He's the protector. He is the receiver. Uh, in fact, when the individual comes to offer sacrifices, the term sacrifice is a misnomer. The term in Hebrew is korban, and the Hebrew means to bring close. I bring myself close to the creator, to the deity, to God, by offering something of importance. I offer myself. I offer that which is valuable. I offer quality. And maybe this Torah portion is insisting upon bringing one's quality so that one can be accepted, acceptable, and at peace. I think we would do the Torah portion a small disservice if we didn't remind our listeners that the notion of ritual purity and impurity was part of the ancient Israelite sense that when they came to offer these sacrifices to come close to God, they had been taught at Mount Sinai that they should be in a state of readiness to encounter the divine. And this Torah portion Um, in the book of Leviticus, is somewhat of a reminder that purity and impurity are not clean and dirty, but rather they are a status of coming karov, close to the divine. And so whether it is through blood or discharges or words, when the ancient Israelite text wanted to encourage the members of the covenant to have relationship with God, to be in an intense encounter with God, 
they needed to prepare themselves as most completely as they could. Um, this has been a fascinating conversation. I want to thank you for your insights. My guest this morning has been Rabbi Brooke Sussman of New Jersey, Freehold, New Jersey, who has shepherded us through these challenging two Torah portions, Tazria and Mitzorah. You can find a podcast of this morning's show on iTunes or on the chri.ca website. A reminder that if you have a question or a comment about this morning's show, you certainly can email Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts at the website. For myself, Rabbi Stephen Garten, and my guest, I wish you shalom and have a good day. Oh,